Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture. Before we begin the message today, I wanted to take a few minutes and for us to pray. Uh, Pray for the events that we see unfolding in our world. Uh, I think we're all heartbroken when we see events like we see in Haiti with the earthquake and so many people losing their lives, and especially in Afghanistan. I think for all of us, we we just feel the heartbreak for believers, feel the heartbreak for people there, and are praying right now that life would be spared, praying for Christian brothers and sisters. I want you to know as a church, uh, more than just praying, we're allocating resources. Uh, We're working with partners both locally and globally. We're looking for the best way to be a part of the solution. We can't always change these problems, but we feel like to be the hands and feet of Christ, God has blessed us here. And so we've allocated $10,000 right now, at least that and even more, that uh, we want to use to help with refugees who might be coming to this country and even the Bay Area, and also to help with partners who are in-country there. And so as we know more of the details, all of this is unfolding so fast, and we want to make sure that we're diligent and, and do the right work, that we're partnering with the right people. Uh, We'll let you know more of those details. I just wanted you to know that as a church, we are praying and we're acting on behalf of those who are in need. In fact, will you take just a minute with me now and let's just pray together. Father, we do just pray. I I pray for these areas of our, our world that we just see are in crisis. Lord, our hearts break as we see the crisis again in Haiti. Again, the devastation that is there. Lord, I I pray for the people of Afghanistan. I pray with this uh, just collapse that has happened. I I pray for Christians who even now, they're in their homes and they're fearing for their lives. Lord, we pray that you would give a measure of grace that goes beyond the circumstances. We we pray for those who need to get out that... uh, they would have the resources, the means to do so. Lord, I I pray that Christians all over this planet, we would be a people that are stepping in to help during this time, that we would open our arms, open our doors, that that we would be a part of the solution uh, and not just watching the crisis from afar. Lord, show us how to do that well as a church. We thank you for the partners that we have across the Bay Area. We thank you for our global partners We pray that you would show us how to use the ways that you've blessed us in order to be able to bless and help others. Lord, we lift this before you. I I pray that as your church, we would be people of prayer during this time, that we wouldn't just see these news stories and uh, be horrified by them, but they would constantly bring us back to a place where we're praying, where we're praying for those who desperately need it. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who's on on the throne, that these events did not catch you unaware, even though they surprise us. And so that's why we bring these requests before you, and we trust you in all circumstances. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we continue on in this series, this Reframe series, we've been using the book of Philippians and allowing God's Word, and particularly as Paul has written to this one church in time, to allow it to be words that speak to us so that we change our perspective, the way we see the world. Because it's amazing, when when you change your perspective, it it really can change everything. 
You know, years ago, the Museum of Natural History in New York had an exhibit where you came into this room. It was a large room, but they set the room up from a dog's perspective. So it was like a, a family room in a house. But when you came into it, suddenly the, the table, the legs on the table were so tall and the table was up there. The, the mantle seemed forever away. All the parts of the room just seemed gigantic when you looked at it from a little dog's perspective. And again, you, you could walk into that room and you go, well, everything's wrong here. Well, wrong to whom? I mean, from our perspective, that's not how we would see it. And, and that was the whole point of the exhibit. It's just realize that everywhere you look in life, there's a different way of looking at it. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a map. It's interesting. If you grew up in the U.S., almost every map you see of the world, right in the center of the map is the U.S., and yet, if you grow up in other parts of the planet, you, you can take a globe and flip it around. It's almost disorienting to see maps from that perspective. And, and you realize in that moment how ethnocentric we are, even in our maps, that we're the center of the universe and the center of life. Now, as we've been reading through this book, and, and the reason we're choosing this reframe is how do we change our perspective? And it's one of the things I love about the Apostle Paul. He has such a unique and, and I would say a singular focus in life that he's so dialed in. He has such a perspective, both of this world and the world to come and how we live in it. You know, there's an old Russian proverb that says, if you chase after two rabbits, you won't catch either one. And I don't know about you, sometimes I feel like I'm not just chasing two rabbits in life. It feels like I'm chasing a whole herd of rabbits and I'm going everywhere. That's why this book's been convicting for me. That's why I think this passage today, we're going to look at Philippians 3. I think it's one of the best passages that if you wanted to just get a perspective of how do I get that same singular focus in life? How do I get a perspective like Paul's? In fact, let's look at our reframe verse of the week right here. And this is the center of the passage. We'll break it down later. But look at this singular perspective. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is a great verse. Each of these reframe verses are great verses to memorize. And, and this is a great one to, to have that perspective to go, okay, that one thing I do in life, how do I have that kind of singular perspective? And so today as we walk through the passage, I want to help each of us have this kind of perspective. Maybe you, you, like me, you go, you know, as I read this, I need to change my perspective. I need to narrow my perspective. And I think Paul shows us exactly how to do that. Uh, look at the steps in it. The first step that I would say to do this is, for all of us, complete an internal audit of your life. Uh, and here's what I mean with that. Right now as a church, we have our, our accounting firm that, that we hired that does our yearly audit. And they come, they look at all our books, they look at, at all the assets, liabilities. They do everything from you know, our processes and protect it, and then they'll present to the elder board a final report in that. Now, I'm not asking you to do anything that complicated. In fact, you can probably do this one pretty quick. But when you think about your life from an eternal perspective, the ledger of your life, if you just had two categories, and so you look at that ledger of your life, Everybody has your assets and your liabilities. And, and when we measure our lives, and everybody on the planet does this, by the way, we kind of measure it in two ways. 
On the asset side of this, this is the things that I did that were right. Things that I did that were good. And then on the liability side of my life, the things I did, what I did that was wrong. And so when you look at that scale, everybody's measuring in this way. Every religion measures in this way. I mean, we define right different ways. Uh, depending on your religion, depending on who you say is God, you're going to say, you know, if you're a Muslim and Allah has declared that right means I did the five pillars of Islam. So if I did that and that's on this side and I didn't disobey, or if I didn't do the things I were supposed to do, or if I'm a Buddhist, I do the eightfold path over here. Or if I'm a Hindu, I've done the right way and I followed the right gods in that. Uh, even just a general secularist still has these categories. It would just kind of go, I did more right than I did wrong. And so when you think about your life and the audit of your life, look how Paul puts it. And we won't look at the first verses of it. And the reason I bring this up is the beginning of this chapter, they're struggling a little bit in the Philippian church because there's a group that would go around to all these churches and Paul, he doesn't like them. He calls them actually dogs. These wild dogs that come in. And what they're doing is they're expanding the category to be a good Christian they said there's some things that to be a Christian, you have to have in this asset column. And what they're doing is they're bringing in some of the rules of Judaism. It was Jews and sometimes even Jewish believers that they couldn't get out of their head this radical grace that Paul's teaching. And so they'd come behind him and go, you got to add some things. I mean, at the very least, if you're a male and you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be a God follower, you have to be circumcised. I mean, that, that was just core to identity. And, and you had to follow these laws. And, and so Paul kind of goes through his category, his column. He goes, hey, according to your reckoning of right, man, I was more right than any of you. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day like you're supposed to be in the law. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the greatest tribes. First king of Israel was of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Man, I'm pure in my bloodline. He said, I was a Pharisee, oh, the most righteous guys. I was so zealous, I was willing to persecute. In fact, I love this line. He says, if you took the law and you laid it out, I was blameless. And he's not saying he's perfect, but he said, there's not one law that anybody was going to be able to come along and go, oh, Paul is not doing that. He said, man, I kept all of it. You want right? I had right. But then look how he describes it. Read with me as he says in this. But whatever gain I had, all that category of good stuff, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, no matter what you're going to put in this category. Not just those things that I kept according to my religion, but anything you'd put over here. I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake... I've suffered the loss of things. I lost everything in the process. And I love that. Look, look at this radical line. I count them as rubbish. See, when, when Paul not only looks at his life, when he looks at all religion, when he looks at all accounting from this divine perspective, he said it's really not a category of what I did right or what I did wrong. Really, you can just take your whole life and just summarize it, what I did. And he goes, you take what you did. Take what I did, and you move all of it over here. It's a liability. 
I mean, all of life. And, and look how he puts it. He says, I count all of it as rubbish. He doesn't call it liability. It, it's funny to me, you know, this is the English Standard Version. And some of these translation committees, the English Standard Version actually has some Englishmen on it. And I can only imagine when they got to this word. The word here in Greek is scubula. And it's, it's almost cute to me that they go, rubbish. Rubbish sounds like this, you know, this, oh, put out the rubbish. The word scubula, you know what it actually means? Scubula is dung, feces. In fact, there's an S word we have in English that's probably as close to scubula as you can get. Uh, so Paul says the S word. He says the Greek S word, scubula. And you hear that and you go, whoa, wait, why, why is he so shocking about this? And he's, he's not throwing it out there for shock value alone. It's not like Paul's like, oh, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to throw out this word. He, he, he wants to wake us up. He goes, hey, all these things that we're adding up that we think this is the eternal value of my life, all the things that I did that I thought I was right and I'm trying to do the right things and I kept the right rules and I, I did all that. He goes, man, I look at all that and it's dung. It's worthless. Now, again, let me be clear. He's not saying everybody on the planet's worthless. He doesn't look at anybody's life and go, oh, your life is dung and all that. He's not saying that people can't do good things. We see people that are not Christians and we look at their lives and man, they do very good things. But he says in the divine accounting, even their good things, even the best of things, they're worthless in this accounting system. And, and the reason he's so strong about it is they're not only worthless, they're deceiving because you think it's adding up, and it has no value. I'll give you an example of it. If, if I were to say to you, I have a way, for very limited dollars, by the way, you could become a millionaire. And I do, by the way. In fact, if you would give me $1,250, I can make you a millionaire by the end of the day. It'll probably take me the end of the day, but I can do it. It's not a Ponzi scheme. I don't know any stock, you know, scam or anything like that. I literally, I'll hand you a million dollars by the end of the day. Now, you're looking at me and you go, Tim, your pastor, all right, what's your deal? I'll show you. I'll just show you part of it. See, I'll go out for $1,250. I can go out and buy 49 of these. They're about $25 out there. Priced them today. So just a general set of Monopoly. And in Monopoly, here's a great thing. In every Monopoly, there is $20,580. So if I buy 49 of these at $20,580, I can hand you a stack 49 times this that you're suddenly a millionaire. And man, you can make it rain, baby. I mean, you're going the $500. Now, you look at that and you go, Tim, hello, why in the world would I give you $1,250 good dollars to get a million dollars worth of Monopoly money? It's useless. I go, useless? Man, do you know the property you can buy? Do you know how many hotels and houses you can buy? And again, you'd look at it and you go, yeah, that's great to be a millionaire in Monopoly world. But in the real world, you actually asked me to sacrifice something valuable for something useless. Because this is exactly what Paul's trying to teach us. 
And I hate to break it to you, it's a lot more valuable than $1,250. He, he said there, there's so many people. I mean, they're taking their life. They're taking all of who they are. And with passion, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to make their life count. They're trying to add it up. They're trying to, in the ledger of their life, go, man, I did more good than bad. And he looks at that and he goes, man, I did that too. And in the reckoning before God, man, that is worthless. It's useless. In fact, the only thing of worth, look what he says is of worth. Let me put Monopoly world away. We'll go back into real world of scripture. Look what he says is of worth as he continues on with it. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things. I counted as rubbish. I count all that I did in order that I may gain Christ. Oh, here's worth. And be found in him. So that when God looks at the value of the world, he goes, oh, the value is Christ. Oh, and Paul's in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Not that I did the right things and I finally got there because I just can't get there. But that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Man, not something I could earn, but something God was willing to give through Christ. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Man, I, I want to know him that much more. That I may share in his sufferings. Ooh. Paul says that's even an asset. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, go back to the ledger of life, if you look at it here. The liabilities are here, what I did. Here's the asset, what Christ did. Paul says, this is my ledger. This is my life. This is how I have meaning. See, on this side of it is what Christ did on the cross. On this side of it is the righteousness that came through Christ. On this side of it is even the sufferings of Christ because I'm more like him. On this side of it, I'll have resurrection in Christ. And I would just encourage you, I mean, before you do anything else, I think it's so important for all of us to have a real clear picture. Because every religion will teach you the assets on this side is what you have to do. And I'm telling you, and the reason Paul uses such strong language, man, it is a worthless system because you can't do it. You can never measure up. And so Paul says, hey, you know what Christianity teaches? I didn't measure up. But Christ did. Now, as you do the audit of your life, is this what the ledger of your life looks like? And, and if it doesn't, it's as simple as what Paul teaches us. Man, if I confess with my mouth, if I believe in my heart that Christ is Lord, I receive all of that. And I don't have to live based on this. First question step that you need to do is an eternal audit. Now here's the second thing in this new perspective. Look at the second thing. Admit that you're not there yet. Admit that you're not there yet. And when I use this phrase, I'm not talking about people who have not experienced Christ. I'm talking about Christians. For every single one of us, admit we haven't arrived yet. Admit you're not all that. Because it's easy, even on that last point, maybe you were looking at that ledger and you said, oh yeah, Tim, oh, that is so me. I am in Christ and I'm not living in that. I remember when I did that years ago. And we can almost kind of sit in that place where we go, oh yeah, I'm so glad you're preaching that to other people. But look what Paul says in the very next thing. He's describing his own life. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. 
Here's Paul. I mean, and he's near the end of his life. And he goes, oh yeah, I'm not there yet. Man, I, I've not experienced all I'm called to be in Christ. I, I, I don't understand all who Christ is yet. I, I don't experience all of this living out. I'm not perfect in this. I've not finished this. But you know what I do? I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, because of what Christ did, man, I'm moving toward it more. I want it more. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I mean, again, I just love Paul's humility. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. When I think of Paul and I think of this kind of life, when I think of knowing who Christ is and wanting to live this fully out, for me, Paul is the goat. I mean, I'm not talking about the animal. I'm talking about the goat, G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time. I mean, when you think of any sport, I mean, in basketball, Michael Jordan is the goat. And don't come at me with LeBron, please, please. Michael Jordan's the goat in football. I mean, I may not like him, but Tom Brady is the goat. And again, I know 49ers fans, there's a case for Montana. I probably would have made it a couple of years ago. But at this point, you look at Brady and you go, he's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. And and again, you look at those athletes and, and really what distinguishes them, that no matter how talented they were, they never stopped. They were always pushing. Brady's still pushing. He's in his 40s and he's still pushing with that. Now, I love that in a spiritual way. Here's Paul, and and Paul likes sports. I mean, he uses a lot of sports references about running races and wrestling. Uh, I I mean, you'll you'll see it in that, that he describes boxing. He says, I box my own body in that. And, And there's this part where Paul, when he's looking at his spiritual life, here's what I love about it. He goes, I haven't arrived. Man, I'm not there yet. And and I I think for each one of us, it's easy, especially if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, that you can start getting this mentality, I'm kind of all that. I've kind of arrived. I kind of know it all. I've kind of studied it all. I've kind of seen it all. I've kind of been around it all. And I love with Paul, he says, hey, don't get caught up that. You know what my perspective is? I'm not there yet. So, man, I'm going for it that much more. With that, look at the third thing. The third part is quit living in the past then. Quit living in the past. And I love how Paul puts it. We'll come back to our verse. It's our reframe verse, but look at it with it. He says, one thing I do. So when he says, hey, man, here's my eternal audit. It's all in Christ, but I'm not there yet, man. I'm going to keep going. So to keep going in that One thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. Man, I forget what's behind me. I'm not living in yesterday. And I'd say for a lot of people, a lot of us need to quit living in the past. And when I say that, I mean it in different ways. Some of you, when I I talk about quit living in the past, it's, it's interesting. You need to forget some things. You know, the Bible's really fascinating on this subject because all throughout the Bible, you'll hear the word remember, remember, remember. There's so many things God wants us to remember. It's always related to what he's done in the past. Remember that. But then you come to this principle, forget. Forget what we've done in the past. See, we get those things backwards though, don't we? We we are so prone to forget what God's done in the past And we're so quick to remember what we've done in the past. Some of you need to quit living in the past. 
You're never going to have this kind of perspective. You're never going to take these steps forward as long as you're looking backwards like this. And, and I would say it kind of in three categories. For some of you, you need to forget the failures of the past. You, you need to move through the ways that you fail. You know, I've talked to a lot of believers over the years, and I'll, I'll have some, they'll come into the office, and it's always interesting, you, people are telling their stories, and sometimes as those stories move to that place of the heart where they have something in their past they can't leave behind. It's usually shame-related. And I would encourage you, part of it is embracing the forgiveness of God. Now, I'm not saying it's a quick process. I'm not saying that, oh, we dismiss sin. In fact, sometimes we move through it too quickly. I like how Lewis Smeads puts it. He said, if forgiving ourselves comes easy, chances are we're only excusing ourselves. There's a difference between excusing ourselves and forgiving ourselves. We're ducking blame. We're not really forgiving ourselves at all. If you're self-aware, conscious of sin enough, concerned about God and others enough, some part of you ought to ache with the remembrance of the wrongs. A broken and contrite heart God doesn't despise. He says that in Psalm 51. I'm not, I'm not saying that we just dismiss, especially where our sin had an impact on someone else. There can be an ache in that. But there's a place where we bring it before God, we receive the forgiveness of God, and we don't allow the shame of the past to trap us in the past. You know, again, Paul, I think, models this better than anybody else. Paul never hides his story. Paul never hides his past. I mean, he's the first to admit. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. He said, I was a persecutor of the church. He owns his past, but he's not trapped by it because he's found forgiveness. And maybe for some of you, this quit living in the past, maybe it's time to start owning part of your story. Instead of being so ashamed of it that you can never see it, you'd be willing to bring it in the light so that you can show others the forgiveness God's given you. And maybe it'd be a testimony to them. Some of you need to, to quit living in your failures. Now, the flip side of it, there's a lot that need to quit living in the successes. And again, I, I say this because God's blessed venture. We, we've got a mature body. We've got so many people that have walked with Jesus for years. And I know this. I, I mean, I, I've had a lifetime. I was able to grow up in the church. I'm so thankful for that. But it is so easy to rest on yesterday's success. It's so easy to tell yourself, well, I used to be a missionary. Or I was an elder. Or I started this ministry. Or I served 10 years. Or I've taught through the Bible. Or I've never been in debt in my life. Any of the things that we kind of look at that are great things God's done in our life. But we're resting on yesterday. I mean, by God's grace, man, I have been in a loving, faithful relationship with my wife, Lee, for over 30 years. I've been faithful to her for 30 years. But you know, that means nothing if today I allow my eyes to wonder, I allow my heart to wonder. I mean, I'm so thankful for the history that we have. And you know what it caused me to do? It caused me to go, I want to live it that much more because I want another 30. And I want to experience that. And there's a part of what I look at Paul's life that he's not satisfied with all the churches he's planted, all that he's done. He says, no, I want to see Christ use me that much more. And he's back in the game. Some need to quit living 
in yesterday's successes. Final category I just say from the past is some of you, you, you need to quit living in yesterday's wounds. And this may be the hardest one because somebody hurt you or somebody did you wrong. Maybe it was a church. Maybe it was Christians. Some of you, you're watching this online because you've told yourself, I'm not stepping back in a church building again. And it's not because of COVID. It's because of Christians. And those wounds and those hurts, man, they keep you trapped. Now again, hear me. I'm not saying this to diminish it. What was done was wrong. And God sees it as wrong. And God wants to walk with you and heal you from it. But you're going to stay trapped backwards if you're not willing to bring those things to him and trust him as you walk forward. You know, I love the way uh, Gary Preston talks about it. He says there's a story of a traveler that was in, in Myanmar and he tra- traveled to a shallow stream and when he got to the other side, he looked at his torso and his torso and his legs were covered with leeches. And he went down to pull them off and his guide said, don't pull them off. If you pull them off, you're going to leave the head of the leech in and it'll get infected. He said, you need to go to a warm salt bath and just sit in the bath And in that warm salt water, the leech will release. And it's not going to leave the wound and the infection behind. Listen to how he describes it. Because I I think it's so important. He says, many of us have been significantly injured by another person. But we cannot simply yank the injury from ourselves and expect that all the bitterness, the malice, and the emotion will be gone. Resentment still hides under the surface. The only way to become truly free of the offense and to forgive others is to bathe in the soothing bath of God's forgiveness. When I bathe in the bath of how he's forgiven me and loved me, it helps me to release those wounds. When I finally fathom the extent of God's love in Jesus Christ, forgiveness of others is a natural outflow. And again, I'm not saying it won't leave scars in your life. If you've been hurt by people, there are scars that are there. But trust me, if anyone knows scars, Paul does, both physical and emotional. If anybody's an expert in scars, it's Jesus. And yet he wasn't held back by him. He overcame through it. I think for many of us, if if we're going to live out this kind of life, we got to quit looking back. Quit living in yesterday's failure. Quit living in yesterday's success. Quit living in yesterday's wound. Trust Christ in this. And then as you do that, look at number four. Number four, focus on the finish line. Focus on the finish line. Focus on what's ahead. Look how Paul puts it in that same verse. It goes back in it in Philippians. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Man, I'm looking at the goal. I'm looking at the finish line. I told you he was an athlete. He loved the races. He talked about running the race in a way to win. He talks about when I finish my race. So he he always had that perspective. I'm not just running to run. I'm not just in the race just to be in the race. I'm not just reaching a point that I kind of go, I've run enough. I think I'm going to stop. He's on this permanent respite or retirement from the kingdom. And again, even as I say that, you go, well, Tim, what if you get weary? Because some of us get weary. And again, there's a place for respite. There's a place for rest. 
In fact, Jesus looks at his followers. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. But notice what he says in that. He says, I will place my yoke upon you. My burden's not too heavy. My yoke is actually, actually light. You know, I think a lot of us are weary, not from Jesus' yoke, but from the yoke of success that we're going for. From the yoke of the things we get so caught up in. And I would just encourage you sometimes getting this kind of clarity and focusing on the finish line and really focusing on the things that Jesus calls us to do and giving our life away and serving others and being there. It makes all the difference. Focus on the finish line. And then as you do that, look at number five. Find the right people to follow along the way. So we're focused on that finish line. And the great part about the finish line, you know who's standing there? Jesus. That's what Hebrews 12 tells us. Run the race in a way, fixing your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and finisher of your faith. But if you're like me, sometimes when I'm running that race and I'm trying to stay fixed on Jesus, it's hard to know how do I do that in everyday life? Are there some living examples here? Look what Paul says. I love the way he puts it. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, look at my life. Run with me. Imitate me. In fact, look around for people who are an example in life. You, you need to find somebody a little bit further ahead of you in the race. And don't just listen to their teaching. Look at how they live their life. He says, do this for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They have glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Paul says, you've got two different examples in front of you. One, you've got people like Paul. You've got mentors. You've got people that you need to fix your eyes on and imitate them. And then he says, you're going to have a lot of people in this world. And notice how he describes them. These are people that their God is their appetite. They're always going to be telling you, man, you need to chase your appetites, whether it's sexual appetites, whether it's appetite for food, whether it's appetite for power, appetite for money. That's their God. And they'll show you how to chase it hard. Their glory is their shame. They literally shame in their life. They're not ashamed of it. They glory in it. They're fixed on earthly things. And, and so Paul's looking at these Philippians and he says, man, you got to decide who is pacing you. Who are you imitating? Who are you following? And, and I'd ask you directly, when you go on social media, literally, who are you following? What, what is their life like? Did, would, would this description match them? We, we got a whole category of people now we call influencers. Literally, all it means is they live their life in a way and they show you what they're doing in their life so they can influence you and me to make choices in our life. I, I saw an article in the New York Times. It really is a fascinating article. A young woman wrote it, Lee Stern. And she describes herself, and she's looking at these influencers. Listen, to the, the name of the article is The Empty Religions of Instagram. She's describing Instagram. This was back in March of this last year. She said there's these, these wellness preachers, as they call them, quasi-spiritual influencers, insta-evangelists. Instead of tele-evangelists, now you have insta-evangelists. They have online followers from a million up to 7.5 million, some of them. They're neo-religious leaders of our time. Their followers are mainly millennials and Gen Z. 
and they're not really affiliated with any religion per se. She describes it, most of them are a blend of either left-wing political orthodoxy, maybe intersectional feminism, self-optimization, therapy, wellness, astrology, and Dolly Parton. <laughs> She'd say that kind of be the mix of it all. Listen to her words, though. She said, left-wing secular millennials like myself, so she's putting herself in that category, may follow politics devoutly. But the women we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? She, and again, she describes herself in this category. She, she's not a Christian, but she, listen to her. She said, I long for role models my age who are not only righteous crusaders, but also humble and merciful. And then I'm, I'm not finding them where I live online. There's a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. I've hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager. But the pandemic has cracked open inside me a profound yearning for reverence, for humility and awe. I have an overdraft on my outrage account. I want moral authority for someone who isn't shilling a memoir or calling out her enemies on social media for clout. Man, you, you feel the cries of her heart. And she said, man, I am looking here for someone that has answers to the big questions in life. And I'm not finding them. And guys, it just makes me say, as Christians, we have this great opportunity because Jesus has those answers. But as Christians, and I would say this especially to a younger generation, are you following people that ground their life in these answers and they're the kind of example that you could follow? Are you chasing the same kind of influencers as everybody else? Because you know what Paul says? If you keep seeing them and you keep modeling, you start living like that. That's why he looks at it and he says, hey, just imitate me. Imitate people that are doing this. Not perfect people, but people that have given their life to this. And the final thing he says in it, the final step is remember where you belong. And here's all I mean with this, is as you're running this race, I don't know about you, especially a week like this, you can find yourself weary. You can find yourself in a place that you're going, man, I'm a little overwhelmed with it all. You can find yourself in a place where you feel always out of sync with culture and everybody else. And, and, and Paul looks at it and he goes, yeah, but you've got to remember, you're not home yet. Look how he closes. I love this. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. He says, man, man as you're running this race, as you stay fixed on it, as you're focused on that, just recognize that's home. And we're not home yet. And so when you have a week like this and you see the brokenness of the world, when, when, when you see the brokenness even in your own life, when you feel the effects and the wounds of what people have done and maybe done to you, see, all of those bad things that we see, they're a reminder this world has fallen and infected with sin. It's a reminder we're not home. 
And I'd say the flip side of it, when you see the beauty of this life, when you see the beauty of people, you see the beauty of what's going on, it's also a reminder that this is a glimpse of the life to come. That citizenship in heaven, it's not on a cloud somewhere strumming a harp. Our heaven is a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, listen to how Randy Alcorn puts it. I love, he says, all of our lives we've been dreaming of this new earth. Whenever we see beauty in water and wind and flower and deer and man and woman or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, of breathtaking beauty, of satisfying relationships, and personal joy. See, all those beautiful things that you see, those things that move your heart, those things that make you smile, they're just glimpses of where home will be. And and when we're there, and here's the beautiful part, all the things that make you weary, all the things that make you hurt, all the things that would bring a tear to your eye, we're going to a home one day where all those things have been removed because of Jesus, because he's the author and perfecter of, the, of our life, our faith, and our race. I want to encourage you. It's hard to live in this perspective, but this kind of perspective could change every day of your life. To have the kind of singular focus that Paul's talking about, it literally can change every category of your life. Maybe you should take some time today. Just kind of think through it together. Or alone even. Maybe do that audit of your life and go, man, what am I putting in the categories? What are the things I consider assets? What does Jesus say? And then as you do that, maybe it's time as well that you leave some things behind. You stop focusing on the past and you start focusing on the finish line, especially where Jesus is. That you look around today and go, you know, I need some people that influence me. I need people in my life that I could follow after, that I could model my life after. And then at some point today, just stop and look around and think of all the beauty, think of all the things that make you smile, and let it be for a moment a glimpse of the home that Christ has prepared for you. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that, uh, like Paul, I could have this perspective. I want to live this way. I think it changes everything. I pray that for each person here. I pray that for those who are listening to this. Maybe there's some that, when they look at the audit of their life, they've not put their faith in you. They've not received what only Christ can bring. I pray they'd do that today. Lord, I pray for those today who need to stop living in the past. They need to start living forward. Lord, I pray for those that maybe think they've arrived and they need to start chasing you again. Father, for all of us, I just pray that we'd have a glimpse of the kind of home that you've prepared for us and that that would motivate us that much more. That like Paul, we would say this is the one thing I do. I forget what lies behind and I press on in Christ Jesus. And we pray this in his name. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.